younger to appreciate it. You ready? Do you like raisins? How about a date? Isn't that good? Yeah, you can use that one. Isaiah 53. I think that joke came all the way from New Zealand just to you. Um, you know, my, my goal here is if you, when you leave here this morning, that you will want to rejoice. If you read the story of the Emmaus Road, as Jesus is expounding the resurrection and his death from the Old Testament prophets, it said that the hearts of those listening burned because they wanted to worship and they were amazed and in awe of what God had done. And that's what I want the Holy Spirit to do in your life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died a dishonorable death because humanity lives in a condition of dishonor. Christ rose from this death showing that this dishonor, that the believer's dishonor was taken away. Christ took our dishonor on the cross so that we might move to an honorable position as a son and as a daughter into His family, adopted by grace through faith. So for those in Christ, we are partakers. We are joined to Him. We have union with Him. And we are partakers of everything that He did. So we're dead with Him. We're buried with Him. And we are risen with Him. You might say that your union with Christ, if you're a believer, is intimate. That is, it's close relationally. It's continuous. It is not here today and and gone tomorrow. It's undissolvable. It, It cannot be broken because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Christ is one with you and with His people so that whatever happened to Him will happen to you. If He rose again, then you will rise again as well. And this morning, just like Christ explained on the Emmaus Road, explaining to those disciples everything that had just happened, and He did it for Moses and the prophets, so we will do something similar. We want to look at Isaiah 53, which is the fourth of the servant songs. And we've preached the first three, and this is the fourth really giving us detail about the suffering servant and how he would die for his people. And then we're going to briefly look at 1 Corinthians 15 at the resurrection. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we marvel this morning at your grace. And I marvel that in your resurrection, who did you appear to first but a prostitute? A harlot. Mary Magdalene, she saw you and all you had to do was say her name, Mary, and she knew this was no gardener. This was my Messiah. This is my Savior. She knew you intimately. You were not afraid to draw close to a woman whom everybody stayed far away from. I just praise you and I worship you, God. And we come here as broken, unclean people, yet For the believer, we are redeemed, we are justified, we are raised with Christ, we are clothed in His righteousness. Lord, and we want to have a heart to rejoice in what You've done for us. And I pray this morning that when we leave, that our hearts would burn with desire to worship. 
our minds would be filled with a deeper, intimate knowledge of our Savior and what He's done for us. And for those here who, like you say to Peter, follow me. For those here who have an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is and what He's done, yet they are not following you by faith. They are not your disciples. I pray today that many would choose by your grace to become disciples of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. In March of 2016, an Islamist group bombed the Brussels airport and subway. And as as happens every time, what, what followed was a mass outpouring of sympathy and concern. One reporter who had seen this same thing happen again and again wrote these words. Teddy bears, tears, candles, cartoons, murals, mosaics, flowers, flags, projections, hashtags, balloons, wreaths, lights, vigils, scarves, and more. These are the best solution the Western world seems to come up with every few months when we are slammed by another Islamist terrorist attack. We are our own sickness. And what he is saying is the secular Western world has no answers for those who are mourning except to give them a teddy bear and to say, she'll be right. The death and resurrection of Christ, the Messiah, gives the believer a radically different hope and comfort in the face of any situation. In Isaiah 53, the prophet describes the worth of the suffering servant's work for us. He says that we all have turned away from God like sheep who have gone each to our own way. And God took our sins, the burden, and laid it upon Him. And then placed upon Him the punishment that we are due so that we might go free and be healed. And when you read that, the question arises, okay, that looks good on paper, but how do I know that my sins have really been forgiven? That my sins have actually been paid for by Christ, that I'm really reconciled to the living God? Well, today when we pay something in full, you you get a receipt, right? You paid your taxes in full, you wrote that big check, and you get a receipt. That's how we know our debt is paid in full. My friends, the resurrection in many ways is God's receipt that He has accepted His own payment from His own Son for the fullness of your sin. And what I mean is, if God is not satisfied with the payment of Christ, then He would never have raised Him from the dead. But the resurrection is God's statement to the world that Christ was wounded for you and now by His resurrection you have been set free. His resurrection is our surety that He is the suffering servant that Isaiah told us was coming. He is the Lamb of God promised to set me free from guilt. That He has accomplished the work that God sent for him. So here's our main idea today. If you're taking notes, it's just this. The resurrection 
is God's surety that Christ's wounds have set you free. The resurrection is God's surety that the wounds of Christ have set you free. Now, looking at Isaiah, there's four things that we want to see here. Okay? Four things about this suffering servant. First is this. Here's point one. He was rejected by men. He was rejected by men. If you would, look at verse 2 and 3 in your Bibles with me. Verse 2 and 3 in Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Notice this. This is really the only place that we see the appearance of Jesus. It describes him. First, like a young plant in dry ground. And so what that means is it's a really spiritually dry time. It's a dead time. And in that environment, a young plant, a young shoot, would rise out. In other words, in a time when it was improbable that anything could grow spiritually, God brings a shoot. So God will plant a servant in a spiritually dry time. And you think, okay, well, he must be incredibly charismatic to succeed like his father David in such harsh times. Well, look what it says about his appearance. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. What, it, what it's saying is he was not kingly in appearance. He, he was not what the Jews were looking for. He was not like King Saul in stature or King David in a, a beautiful face. There was nothing physically to attract people to this Messiah. And he was despised and rejected. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected. So the religious leaders of the day, those who matter, the chief men of the world, they drew back from him. They were repulsed in him and they saw no value in him. And notice these words. He was acquainted with grief. Which means he had a relationship with sorrow. He was troubled. Mark 14.33 says, He was troubled and greatly distressed. He was called a blasphemer. One who had a devil. One who was drunk all the time. One who hung out with prostitutes. A friend of prostitutes. And think about this. He was insulted to the depths of his identity. When we think about Jesus, we think about three major offices. Prophet, priest, and king. He was all those. And so, as the king, they crowned him with thorns. They covered him with purple garments to mock him. They bowed before him in mockery and said, Hail to the king of the Jews. As the prophet, Matthew 26, 68, they spit in his face and they struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? As the priest, they said, he has saved others, but he cannot save himself. In other words, 
He can't even intercede for Himself with God. How is He a priest if God will not even listen to Him as He died? And so they rejected Him as their King, as a prophet of God to speak for God, and as God's priest to intercede for them. He was a man of sorrows. Second point two. He carried our sins and was crushed. Verse 4. Look in your Bibles with me. Verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him smitten by God and afflicted. Notice those words, carried our sins. It means one that takes a debt or burden upon Himself. He carried it. He owned it as His own. He's not just taking it away But on the cross, He is carrying our guilt. And as the Lamb of God who carried our sins, God crushed Him for it. Now notice man's perspective in his suffering. Verse 4, Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So as God poured out His full penalty of sin upon His own suffering servant, And as he suffered on a tree, the crowd estimated in their own mind what they were seeing. And they came back to Deuteronomy 21-23 that says, cursed is a man that hangs on a tree. And so they thought, this man is afflicted by God. He's stricken by God for what he's done. What has he done that God has poured out such a horrible curse upon him? Ernest Gordon's book, Miracle on the River Kwai, there was a Japanese work camp and there was a shovel missing as in the evenings after they'd been working, they would have to give their shovels back and they would make a count. And in one evening, there was a shovel missing. And so the sergeant, the Japanese sergeant in charge, was furious. And he said, I will start killing you until the shovel reappears. And as he was just about to do that, a young American soldier came forward and said, I took the shovel. The Japanese sergeant grabbed one of the shovels and proceeded to beat the young American soldier to death. After he was dead, the rest of the soldiers there got his body and they drug it over to when they would do the second tool count. When they counted a second time, all the shovels were there. In other words, they had made a terrible mistake. And one innocent man had taken the unjust punishment for them all. One man had given his life to save his comrades. My friends, God the Father sent His Son as our suffering servant to step forward and take the punishment for His people on a tree which stated to every man, this man is cursed by Jewish law, by God. And so He was. He took the curse of your sin and of mine upon Himself. John Owen says it like this, God saved His church through a transfer of punishment, namely from the ones who had deserved it and could not bear it, to one who had not deserved it, but could bear it. Third, 
he set us free. Verse 5 and verse 11. Verse 5 and verse 11. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his stripes we were healed. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Christ brought his people into a state of peace with God. And notice, if you think of Jesus, and there his disciples are in the book of John, and they are huddled into a room with the door locked, and they are fearful of the Jews. And two times when he comes and he appears to them and he says to them, peace be with you. Because they've been healed from the effects of sin. Every part of the cross all that belongs to the servant's sacrifice is filled up with the perfections of God so that no more could ever be required of you. Nor is there anything missing in the work of Christ of the servant that might give us doubt that we don't have peace with God. In other words, He makes us righteous before God, which should make you want to shout for joy and click your heels. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. The greatest exchange. He took all of our sins on the cross and was crushed. We take all of His righteousness and are accepted simply by grace through faith. I was recently talking to a Hindu doctor and we were having wonderful conversations with this orthopedic man, a brilliant man. And as we began to talk, we began to talk about faith And I asked him, I said, would it be possible for us to begin to meet and just to look at the sayings of Jesus? And he looked at me and he said, you know, my my kids go to a Christian school. And I've talked to the chaplain of that school and the chaplain says that I am fine. That my faith is sufficient. This chaplain essentially said, it does not matter what door you go through to get to heaven. It does not matter what you believe. You just need to go through a door. It is just preference that leads to the same courtyard. Now, that makes total sense giving the world's understanding of salvation. If salvation is through keeping your religious and moral laws and duties then who is to say the Christian rules are any better than the Buddhist rules or the Hindu rules or the non-believers rules or anybody's rules? They're all basically the same morals which are valid ways through a wall of separation, which is our sin, to God. Christ says here is the problem. When sin entered man's heart, we were separated from God's kingdom. Because to enter God's kingdom, you must be righteous. And rules don't make us righteous. So from our side of the wall, there are no doors to God. Those doors have been welded shut by our sin. And so what we need is something radically different to enter into God's kingdom. 
Not a door from our side based upon our works. We need a door from His side. Based upon His works. One that He opens up to us. And when Jesus says, I am the door, my friends, that's exactly what He's saying. My death and my resurrection is the door from God to man. The one door that you might enter and be declared righteous because you're joined to me, forgiven and washed and accepted in God's kingdom. Okay, Rusty, you said, that all sounds great. <laughs> but how do I know that that's true? I mean, anybody could go and die and say, I'm dying for your sins. Now God accepts you. And I'm sure some have. Here's the fourth thing. Resurrection stamps the gospel with validity. 1 Corinthians 15. Turn there in your Bibles with me. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 20 to 23. Okay, just yell out when you're ready for me to read. You got it? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at His coming those who belong to Christ. Years ago, Vice President George Bush represented the U.S. at the funeral service of the Russian leader Brezhnev, Leonard Brezhnev. And Leonard's wife, the widow, stood motionless beside the coffin until seconds before the door closed on the coffin. And in front of the greatest communist regime in the history of the world, and in front of a regime and a group of people that denied the resurrection of Jesus' cross, as the door on that body closed, she went and made a cross on her husband. One of the greatest acts of social defiance in the history of our world. And what she was saying is, there is one hope for my husband. And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, she was right. Let me explain. For the believer, Jesus is the merit, the pattern, and the cause of your resurrection. And we'll finish here. First, Christ is the merit of your resurrection. His death and His resurrection is the value of yours. Christ's resurrection is the promise. The believer's resurrection is the conclusion. The whole weight of our faith, our hope, and salvation rests squarely on Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15-17, Paul says, if Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. Romans 4-25, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
while Christ was dying and continuing under the state of death, our redemption was being paid and was completed when He rose from the dead. And my friends, if He was not raised, we would be uncertain whether He really did enough to redeem us from the punishment of guilt and eternal judgment in hell. Now, I would be, you would be uncertain if God accepted His death as a substitute. There would be no comfort. But the resurrection is the merit of your resurrection. Second, His resurrection is the cause of your resurrection. Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. The bond of you to Christ is His Spirit, which you receive by repentance and faith. Every believer is joined in union by the Spirit. This is the power and the cause of your resurrection. Christ in you is the hope of salvation and resurrection. He's the merit. He's the cause. And lastly, He's the pattern. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform your lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. My friends, His resurrection is the same pattern as yours. It means His body was raised substantially the same and so will yours be. Remember, it's a resurrection. It's not a new creation. In other words, He will take your body and raise it in newness and betterness without the results of the curse, but it's not a new creation. His body was amazingly improved by the resurrection, and so will yours be also. His body was raised to be glorified in joy and intimate relationship with the Father, and so will yours be also. His resurrection is the merit, it's the cause, and it's the pattern of your resurrection. And we are joined to Christ by faith. So we say, believer, Christ is risen. risen Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much. I worship You. Father, for the Savior who rose and finished the work that You gave Him from the beginning of time, Lord, dying for Your people. And He rose to newness of life and now He sits, our suffering servant, at the right hand, the hand of acceptance of the Father. All of our acceptance there. And I thank You so much, Father, where our sin made a wall between us and You You broke through that wall in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And I praise you, Father, as we enter your kingdom by faith as disciples of Jesus through repentance. So you clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus, in the goodness of Jesus. Father, so that before you on our best day and our worst day, we bear a white, hot holiness of Jesus, whereby you are pleased. Lord, today, may we set aside time to worship and adore and draw close to the risen Savior. Warm our hearts to you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.